Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. A few weeks ago, The Morning Show received a listener email applauding a really good music segue. It was from John Goodmanson. He's a Seattle-based recording engineer and producer who's worked on albums for Slater Kinney, Harvey Danger, Blonde Redhead, and many more. Morning Show producer Owen Murphy reached out to John and invited him to KEXP to talk about the craft of producing, some notable moments in his career, and what artists should look for in a producer. He started off by talking about his music career beginnings at KAOS, otherwise known as Chaos, the student station at Evergreen State College in Olympia. So how did you get into to learning about audio engineering and production? I mean, I'm going to guess here, and you can tell me about this, but was it at Chaos and Ever- Evergreen? Yeah, it was Chaos and Evergreen, and I went to the Evergreen State College because they had recording studios and a radio station, and I didn't care about anything else. That school is an amazing place because a lot of crazy stuff happens because you can write your own program and your degree is just in liberal arts, and it's a good place to go. and. You know, just sort of freak out for a few years while you, you know, make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> well, and, and the, the music scene then is incredible. But so, like, scene. what about that music scene then at that time and fear, informs who you become? Well, the DIY thing, just everybody fearlessly putting out anything they wanted. And teenagers that grew up around there, like the kids in Unwound, you know, they hit the road when they're like 17 or whatever. And somebody famously says, most every kid had a radio show on Chaos and also a record label and a zine, probably. Or if they didn't have a zine, like their bandmate had a zine. Like it really was like everybody, nobody had any money, but it was like DIY culture, like kind of like an extreme version of it. So what are you doing to find your way within that? Well, I uh, was just super interested in the studio stuff. And it was a state school, so they had nice studios. That's what I knew. But I couldn't get into the studios first year because they didn't let freshmen in. <laughs> so so I got super involved with the radio station. And Chaos uh, had a policy 80% independent music. And... There was a lot of great, great... So SST was putting out six six records a month. There was a lot of great stuff. I mean, if you were into industrial stuff, like Wax Tracks was putting out tons of stuff. K was already down there. Um, Sub Pop was kind of just starting, I feel like, when I was down there. So there was there were seven inches, like the Love Battery 7-inch and like Green River Records and stuff. But there wasn't... They weren't like the force that they later became, I don't think. Even grunge-wise. But, I mean, it was Olympia, Washington, and, you know, my really dumb band, you know, played, like, a dorm party with what became Nirvana. At the time, they were called, like, Skid Row. Like, they played on my radio show as Skid Row. It had to change their name for obvious reasons. But there was a lot of crazy, crazy stuff happening in Olympia. There was a crazy thing about Olympia, too, that it was halfway between Seattle and Portland, so it was a convenient stop. My radio show was like on Monday night, so I guess people that were coming back down the coast, it was a convenient uh, like live studio kind of thing for them to play. Do, 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 do. 
I got excited when you emailed this, the show was because for a lot of my life I'm like God this recording sounds amazing that, who, what, it's, it's almost it's oftentimes your name attached to it either as an engineer uh-huh. mixer or producer right and so I'm excited to talk to you um, can you pick a song that you think is interesting that, that from your career in whichever role you took that you think t- I suppose producer probably the best one to talk about how you and a band work together to bring a song out to be even more than you thought it could be. Like, that's, well, and that's always the thing, too, is like to try and get it to be more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. So for, for a lot of it, my pitch is like, what do you guys want to do on your next record? A lot of the bands that I work with are super young, underground kind of bands, so they've kind of had terrible recording experiences generally. So I want to know how things went wrong, but I want to know what, what they're going to do. I mean, with some of the production stuff that I'm like. The Blood Brothers records are, ins- like, those kids are insane, like, completely insane. So to get anything decipherable <laughs> out of it is a huge deal. I don't know I don't know that we did any insane, like, surgery. It's more just, like, getting everything to make sense in context with each other. Gosh, those ones, you know, like that one and then like uh, the Blonde Redhead record, Misery's Butterflies, is one that I'm super proud of. The Blonde Redhead stuff, so we wound up adding tracks, bass, strings, they really like a lot of very special vocal processing that on other records that I've done with them, they wouldn't record the vocal until I had a crazy sound for them. The whole time I was mixing, Simone was working on loops that I would have the mix almost finished, and then he would be like, okay, pull up these three. I'd be like, dude, what are you killing me here? I'm I'm done with the mix. There's no room for anything else. And then, of course, it'd be some brilliant weirdo percussion loop that he put you know was working on all day on on headphones because he was bored or whatever so. and, and which song would that have been on <sighs> misery is one there's a there's a like a echoey knocky halftime drum loop on misery um that's a big part of of that uh so yeah misery is a uh, tearjerker well, of a song So a new artist is going into the studio. They're, they're lucky enough to have a producer like you, engineer like you. Uh, what do they need to know for it to be successful? Maybe you could pick like five things or three things. So, so pick your guy based on records that you like so that you're not trying to get someone to behave like somebody else. And then talk to them about how they go about making records and see whether their idea of making a record 
their idea of the record-making process is compatible with yours. If you're a live punk rock energy band, you don't want to go in with a guy who's a strict click-track guy who's going to instantly put everything to really strict metronomic time or whatever. So, yeah, pick your person based on records that you like. I think being well-rehearsed is pretty important, but also uh, it's really important to keep an open mind. And, like, the Spielberg quote is, like, you know, prepare to the nth degree for everything, but when something is working, chase that. Be prepared, but don't be locked in or whatever. There's a lot of really just, like, basic smarts, like change your strings before you get there, have extra strings and drumsticks, like, so you don't get, like, stuck with somebody having to make a run. And like, also, I really believe like it should be super fun. One of my huge missions is to make the technology get out of the way so we can just try anything. Because people can argue about whether something's a good idea or not like endlessly and just completely kill somebody's random thought before it has a, even a chance to grow into like a good idea. So I find a lot of times it's easier just to try it than it is to argue about it. An example of that, do you have a song you can think of where someone had a random idea wow. that everyone was like, this is not going to work, and then it totally worked? There was a Harvey Danger song that the drummer had his dad come in and play banjo on. And it was totally like favor to him and his dad. And it totally worked, and it was awesome. <laughs> I forget what song. It might have wound up being a B-side of a song, but I remember when the dang banjo came on, it was it was killer. What makes you think I want to ridicule you? The same thing is with people and bands. It's a complete shock which thing is going to be the thing that works. And you have to be like open to the universe you know if you have a dogmatic approach i think you're you're shooting yourself in the foot track 11 from the king james version album is called underground oh yeah the yeah, busy yeah. monster cover that's the song and that is quite a production if anybody wants to go listen to it they're that going to in a couple seconds like, here damn it's got string sections and we really went to town on that that's yeah. awesome Harvey Danger is a totally great band, but also a great example of everybody working together to make, like, the best thing. Like, people would go, like, the band were not, like, particularly good instrumental instrumentalists. Sean is a killer singer and killer with the harmonies, but, um, so that forced them to focus on the songs. You got to get creative because you're not going to pull off like a shreddy blues guitar guy solo or whatever and that's but that's always the interesting i'd way rather record you know someone like carrie brownstein or somebody that's made up their entire own way of playing guitar than some shred monster macho hyper killer instrumentalist and then you get people that are that are super good objectively like super good instrumentalists that also choose to make interesting stuff and that's kind of like the sweet spot that's like the best but but, but you know when you when you come across a band that has limitations or whatever think about how to use those to your advantage instead of you know there's a million ways to do any of these things do you think there's a thread 
uh, running through the artists you've worked with who have, you think, succeeded in recording and making their art presentable to the, see, I don't want to say presentable to the public. They're able to bring their vision to as close to fruition as possible. Wow. So like maybe like there's something about Blonde Redhead is the same as Sleater Kinney that's the same as uh, Harvey Danger. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think all of those that you mentioned when you when you come at it that way, it's people that were open-minded and, and challenging themselves to make something beyond their own expectations, right? Like none of those were like, we're trying to make something that fits in with, you know, the current pop punk like archetype that'll get on the radio or whatever. Like Seattle and most of the artists that I worked with never, I don't want to say never consciously thought about that because a lot of people did, but they did it in a way that wasn't, they weren't going to compromise on the music side. If I can identify just one thing as like the Seattle thing is like, they don't compromise the music to be successful What's the last record you cried to? Oh, Jesus. Cried at records all the time. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> well, I didn't for the longest time. But isn't that too. interesting that it happens where the music just hits you in a place and says, speaks to you and, and says things you can't say, but it does it sonically. Some, I can't, I'm trying to explain what that is. I can't. I don't know. Yeah, the, the combination of well one and uh, making the safe space for somebody to be really vulnerable. There's a vocal on a Slater Kenny record for the song called Sympathy that Dan and I were just talking about when Corin did that vocal and we were a puddle in the back of the control room. And it's about her son Marshall being born, you know, many months premature and what it's like to be in the hospital in the intensive care for, you know, little babies and stuff. The way she delivered that vocal was just, you couldn't believe it. I had to listen to that song probably four times to make sure that I didn't cry when I said this outro, to just simply come back in and say that that was John Goodmanson talking with KXP's Owen Murphy. 